Lord, we're so grateful to be able to be here, to be able to gather, to be able to lift up your name, Lord, that we can come together this morning after this crazy season that we've been in, and we can meet with you and meet with our friends here in this church, Lord. God, and we do ask that what you do in our midst wouldn't stop just with us, Lord, but that it would spill over and flow over into our city. And that you would bring revival to our city, to our nation, and the nations of the earth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, hey, you can be seated. It's awesome to see you or to see half of you uh, face up. You know, I just, man, just rich. Who would have thought when we gathered for worship on March the 8th that it would be the last time that we would meet in here? I think it's seven or eight months like it's wow just wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought love that you're here so excited to see each one of you um, and just worship jesus encounter jesus together my name is zach for those of you that don't know me uh, i'm the lead pastor here and on behalf of our church want to welcome you to church this morning welcome you to the house of the lord and we're believing that god is going to encourage you today that God is going to build you up today, that God has something good that he wants to speak into your life today. And that through the community, through the worship, through the teaching, through the prayer at the end, that this would be a time for you of really getting filled up in Jesus as we go into our week ahead. Now, we are in a teaching series called Stay in the Story, and we're going through the book of Acts. Today is part four in that series. And uh, what we've been looking at is we've been looking at the story of Jesus, the story that Jesus has come to our broken world to reach and restore our world, to make it whole again. And we've been looking at that story and we've been learning how we can stay in the story. You might be wondering why, like, why do we need to stay in the story? What's going to knock us out or distract us from the story? And to help you uh, understand that, to help all of us connect with it, Got a little illustration. Who in here likes Dude Perfect? Okay, who doesn't like Dude Perfect? It's just, they're, they're awesome. They do trick shots, they do competitions. It's a YouTube uh, channel. I think they have like 30 million views and they're from the Metroplex. So awesome. And uh, one of the things that they do on there is they do these competitions, these sport-based competitions, uh, like you know shooting basketball or hitting a hockey puck or playing golf or throwing a football those type of things but they make them significantly harder by adding in some unique complexities one of their favorite moves is the spin around the baseball bat to go into shooting some sort of shot and see who can do that so I'm just going to demonstrate for you because the idea is that they have you spin around the baseball bat one count for me two three four i better stop there wow <laughs> okay i'm gonna wait till the rim stops moving <laughs> maybe should have thought that illustration through a little more okay got my sea legs underneath me so the idea is you spin around and then you go do something that was already hard like shooting a you know a three-pointer in basketball or hitting a hockey puck you do something already hard but you've added a new degree of difficulty to it because now everything is disoriented to you you're so dizzy from spinning around the bat it makes it doubly harder and I think that's a perfect analogy for 2020 
Life is hard enough as it is, right? It's difficult. Life is hard. And this year, uh, we've added the mystery ingredient of the spinning around the baseball bat. And there have been so many things that have come at us this year that have served to disorient us, have served to distract us, have served to maybe even deceive us or divide us. And we're believing that Jesus has a better word for us than division, than distraction, than deceit, but that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the life that gives light to mankind, that when we walk in his life and we're connected with him, we come truly alive. And our planet comes truly alive. And so we want to stay in the story because I know all of us are living around a spinning baseball bat. We've been in it. We're going to be in it this week with the election upcoming. I know that with the election, there are people in our church and people in our nation who are uh, trumpeting Trump. And there are others of you, I saw a sign that said, I'm riding with Biden. And then you're somewhere in between different parties, different views. Maybe you're not going to vote. And I know that's true of our city, and I know it's true of our nation. So what I know is after the election, whenever the final votes are tallied, and that's a question mark as to how all that's going to work, there are going to be people who are rejoicing, and there are going to be people who are deeply distressed. It doesn't matter if Biden wins. There are going to be certain people that are high as a cloud and other people that are terrified. And if Trump wins, same thing in reverse. So this week ahead, as your pastor, I just want to let you know, could be like the spinning around the baseball bat week. And I've thought about this. Some of you might be wondering, uh, you know, why haven't we talked more about politics why haven't we talked more about this uh, election that seems so important to so many? And I want to share my heart with you behind that. As we came into this season, uh, I'm in a group of pastors with Antioch where they <clears throat> kind of help us think through the year ahead. And they just said, hey, everybody needs to be very mindful of the presidential election and all that goes with that. And several months ago. And in praying about God, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to do, uh, you know, teaching on politics or what is Jesus, you know, what are the politics of Jesus or all of these things? The thing that I was impressed with was this idea of help everyone, including me, stay focused on the kingdom of God. Stay focused on the good and beautiful kingdom of Jesus. Stay in the story. And I shared that with our team, and there was a, a sense of like, yes, this is the direction for this year that we are to go. Now, I want to make a statement. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is inherently political. And what I mean by that, political just means the way that certain groups of people agree to interact together. Right? And the teachings of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God makes claims on the way to life. And the way to life, not just for me, but the way of life for a community. So it's inherently political. What the kingdom of God is not, is the kingdom of God is not partisan. And what I mean by that is that the kingdom of Jesus is not aligned with a political party. It's inherently political. It is not partisan. And what I mean by that is that there is no political party no candidate, no political movement 
that embodies the essence of the kingdom of God. And our deal, our, our, our need in this hour, I think for believers, is looking less to see which party does the kingdom of God align with and, and looking more toward uh, which party aligns with the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is central for us. And so my hope is that as you've been a part of our church, that when there are political issues that are very important, that you would be able to think and take the truths of Jesus that you learn here and be able to apply them to the issues of our day. So when we are talking about uh, abortion or immigration or pro-life or pro-choice, my hope is that you think back to the Faith That Works series, the book of James, where we saw that God has made every person in his image, that every person has value. And that's a political viewpoint that shapes how we see life, right? And my hope is that as you remember that, then that would help you think through issues like abortion or immigration or other ways that it may apply. My hope when we start talking about the issues of racial division in our nation, again, that you would think back to that book of James study that we did this summer, and you would think what God says about partiality. And then through that lens, you would begin to look at the political issues of our day. I hope that makes sense. So we are uh, always political as people of the kingdom, right? Because the kingdom of God has application for our everyday lives as a community. But we are not partisan. And honestly, when the church has become partisan, when the church has aligned itself with a particular party or a particular ruler throughout church history, uh, we don't handle that well. We don't handle that power well, right? In fact, no one does, not just in the church, right? There's no one. When you read through uh, history, right, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You just see it over and over and over again. There is one person who is made to handle that kind of power, and his name is Jesus. He is the one on whom the government of the nations, when it rests there, there's life for everyone, and he stewards that power for our life. So next week, we're going to be starting a new series called Prince of Peace, in which we're going to be looking at Jesus as the king over all and the peace that he brings. And I want to share that with you today so that you don't think next week is a reaction to whoever wins or whoever loses. And so now, oh man, we need peace because this has gone really bad. No, no, no. Either way that it comes, guys, either way, we need the Prince of Peace. Can I get an amen on that? Our nation needs the Prince of Peace. And so we're staying in the story today, and we're focusing on the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. We're focusing on Jesus. Next week, we'll begin looking at that passage in Isaiah chapter 9. A couple other things. It feels so uh, different. To be back here uh, again, it's just, it feels like spinning around the baseball bat a little bit. Um, so one of the things that's different are these masks. Now, I imagine that you, like myself, you have an opinion about masks. That you think, there you go, we got an amen over there, that you think that masks are, everyone should have them on all the time, to you think that masks are pointless. And I get it. 
Okay, I, I, have my own, I have my own views on masks. What we decided, what our overseers came together and decided together was as we gather in these services, we're asking that everyone wear your mask if you're 10 or over all the time, unless you're on stage. So if you would like to preach, let me know and we can maybe work that out or sing on the worship team. But if you're not on stage, including myself, to wear your mask, while we're inside the building. When you walk outside the building, do what you want with your mask. But while we're in here, I hope that you hear my heart and our heart is it's not about personal preference. It's not about, oh, well, you're aligned with this political party or that political party about what you do with masks or don't do with masks. No, no, no. This is a decision we've made for the common good for our church, to love one another when we come together. So hopefully we can continue to gather in this worship service each week and worship Jesus together. And we'll see as we go if there's times where it feels like, okay, I think we can make a different policy with the mask, and we'll let you know. We'll be very clear in our communication about that. But for the sake of the whole, I'm asking that you wear your mask while you're in the building. Now, I know we're Texans. We do not like to be told what to do. We do not like to be told anything different than what we want. So I know some of you, that bothers you. I understand. I'm just asking for the sake of love, Let's say go to church, put aside your viewpoint. Let's come together and wear the mask. Okay, here we go. We are going to be in Acts chapter 27 today. We're closing out the book of Acts. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, we learned that these early Christians, Acts details the first 30 years of the Christian church. First 30 years, Acts tells the story, and we've looked and we've seen that they lived through their own series of spinning baseball bats. They were displaced from their homeland. They were persecuted. Uh, there was political pressure. There were natural disasters like earthquakes and famines. There were challenges on the right and on the left. So many things that could have thrown them off course, but Jesus is a faithful shepherd. Jesus is a good shepherd, and Jesus in his faithfulness and goodness shepherded them through all the disorienting events, and they were able, because they responded to his leadership, they were able to see God move in power in such ways that 2,000 years later, we're still looking back in awe of what God did through them. And so we're wanting to go through the book of Acts to see the ways that Jesus helped them to stay in the story so that we can follow suit, so that we can learn from their example. And we're believing that as we do, that we will be a part of seeing God move in power in our generation, bringing transformation and healing to our lives, our city, our nation, and the nations of the earth. So in the first week, we saw one of the things that they did to stay in the story was they planted themselves in the local church. They were committed to one another relationally. They were committed to the Lord, and they were committed to one another. They were devoted together. And I shared with you then that the local church, a church like this, relationally committing, saying, I'm going to plant with these people. This is the soil that God, the master gardener, has designed for you and I to grow in. In fact, Ephesians 4 tells us that we won't grow to our full potential in God. We won't experience all that God has for us unless we are planted in a local church. 
So when we choose to plant, when we choose an age of non-commitment and personal preference, and let me figure out what I want to do, when we choose to commit to one another in a church, we're making an effort to stay in the story and stay planted in the soil that brings true life into our lives. Second thing that they did was they were devoted to developing leaders. They encountered problems, significant problems, and their solution was who is the person that God is raising up that I can invest in and empower and release to tackle these problems? So as a community, we're saying, hey, we're devoted, we're planted in the soil of the local church. We're committed to raising up leaders. And when we engage in that, we stay in the story. Last week, we saw the third thing that they did was they were committed to blessing their neighbor. That wherever they are, even if it was not according to their plan, the person next to them, they viewed as someone that God had placed right there for them to bless. So this year, regardless of what comes, we're committed to blessing our neighbors. The fourth thing that they did that I want to show you today is that they were committed to meeting practical needs. All throughout the book of Acts, they are preaching the good news of the gospel with one hand, and they are doing the good works of the gospel with the other. Sometimes in church, churches get divided. Well, we're a, we're a good works church. We're a good, you know, good news church. And we are a both church. Good works, I mean, good news that fuels good works, right? We're committed to meeting practical needs. And we see this in the life of Paul in Acts chapter 27. Paul is in jail. He feels wrongfully put in jail. And they are transporting him now by ship. And his life is on the line. While they are on this voyage, think Roman Empire, think Mediterranean Sea. While they are on this voyage, they come into an incredible storm in which they think everyone is going to die. Now, if that was me, I would be either throwing myself the biggest pity party uh, on the, in human history. I would be like, God, where are you? Or I would be looking like, while everyone's distracted, is there a way I can get off this boat and escape, right? Paul's doing none of those things. He's staying in the story in some pretty unique ways. Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 33. It said, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. That seems strange. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and, began to, and they began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 people on board. So in this time where things are not going his way, where it might feel like he's spinning around the baseball bat, Jesus leads Paul to stay in the story by looking to meet the practical needs of the people around him. What prisoner, what prisoner would be thinking on their mind, hey, I wonder if my captors, I wonder if they've had enough to eat today. I don't know of anyone. I don't know of anyone who thinks that way. There's no movie where someone is taken captive and their thought is, man, what's the nutrition like of my captors? But Paul is noticing the need of these sailors. He's noticing it. He's speaking up. He's going and finding the food. He's breaking bread. 
And if you think through our study in the Gospel of Luke and you read that passage about breaking bread, you're like thinking of Jesus, like he's doing what he learned from his master, Jesus. And he's meeting practical needs. It doesn't stop there. In Acts 28, they've landed. They make it through this storm. And it says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island that they were on was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So imagine you land on this island. It's raining and cold. You meet the people living on it. They welcome you in. They build a fire, right? And next, look what Paul does. It says, verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. And as he put it on the fire, driven out a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. That's an interesting phrase, that Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. Again, think through the lens of meeting practical needs. It's raining, it's cold, and Paul is thinking about how can I meet the needs of the people around me. So he's going up and he's picking up kindling for the fire to come and throw it on. Right? He's thinking about meeting practical needs. Needs. He goes on from this story to meet one of the leaders in the village whose father is sick. And he notices and he prays for him and the man is healed. He's meeting practical needs. We stay in the story when we meet practical needs. And if you see this in Acts 27 and 28, if you were to trace this all the way through the book of Acts, you see this over and over and over again that they were committed to meeting the practical needs of the people around them. When you read through church history, when the church is at its best, like our strong suit, our go-to, what we're good at is meeting people's practical needs. It's good news. It's Jesus has come to reach and restore the world. And that good news is shown through good works, through meeting practical needs of the people around them. So this is really cool. You guys are doing great at this. Last week, we did a blood drive in an effort to meet practical needs. And it was awesome to see that the Carter Blood Care had a quota of how many they wanted to get. And we were able to meet and even exceed that quota. So much blood was given that there are about 100 people who will receive blood or who could receive blood out of the blood drive from last week. That's meeting practical needs. Uh, last month, we went out on a Sunday afternoon and we served people in Richardson who had code violations on their home and could not uh, afford to you know, remedy those. We went out and served, and there were so many of you that went and served in that meeting practical needs. That's awesome. There's a group going that's doing Financial Peace University, which is great. It's helping people manage their money and meeting practical needs. I want to encourage you, and I want you to be encouraged. I'm so proud of the way, as I was thinking about you and thinking about this passage, of the way that you are committed to meeting the practical needs of people. And in times of disorientation, times of disruption, I want you to remember that when we meet the practical needs of those people around us, we stay in the story. It helps our minds stay focused on Jesus. And so all this year, as a part of our For the City initiative, we're going to be doing service projects monthly committed to meeting practical needs. We have groups going that are helping people with practical life issues. And I want to encourage you, if you've been a part of one of the service projects, way to go. If not, come be a part. Next month, I believe it's on the 22nd, we're doing homeless care bags. So come together, help us make the bags to distribute to those experiencing homelessness in our city and meet practical needs.
So we're committed to, that's what we want to be about. And when we do, we stay in the story of Jesus. So with that as a close, I want to invite you to stand. There is a um, statue in London, England, in Trafalgar Square that is high on a pillar that honors a gentleman named Lord, um, I just blanked on his name, Lord Admiral Nelson. It's so high up in the air, though, that you can't actually see him. So all you see is the pillar going up. So about 50 years ago, some people decided, hey, we want people to actually see the person who's being honored. And so they made a replica of the statue, a six-foot replica they put down at the base of the tall pillar so that people could see Lord Admiral Nelson. When Jesus came into our world, he was like that. God seems very far off and ethereal, and you can be in creation and notice, wow, I think someone must have made this. But he's so high up, so far off that sin has so clouded our vision that it's very hard to see him. But God loved us so much that he came in Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on. And he came into our world to show us what God was like, to show us God's goodness, to show us God's kindness, to show us God's justice, to show us God's mercy. And if you're here today, you have a couple responses to the message that I just shared with you. If you're here today and you're like, man, I have never really had a connection like that with Jesus. I've never really experienced the life that Jesus wants for me. I've never made Jesus Lord. That's the language that we use. To make Jesus Lord just means I'm with him. I'm going to follow him. When you commit to following Jesus, you receive new life, his life within you, and it changes you. And it breathes life. We're made to come alive in the life that is in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. You might be here today, and it's not just because of coronavirus. You haven't been in church in a long time. It may be that just life, somewhere along the way, things got off track, and you're trying to make your way back to God. And I want you to know, He's not looking at you, waiting for you to get your act together. But Jesus shows us that God is running down the road to meet you and to welcome you home. And so if you're coming today and you're like, man, I need to rededicate my life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity in a moment. Third type of person, you're here today, you're in on following Jesus, you want to stay in the story, I want to tell you that Jesus has made you like one of those little statues, one of his image bearers, one of his representatives, that everywhere we go this week, that we have an opportunity and a privilege to show people what Jesus is like through meeting practical needs. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, we want to take a moment to respond to what God has for us. So if you could bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you're like, man, I need to make Jesus Lord. I need to commit to following him. I want to invite you in just a moment to raise your hand. No one's going to look at you. No one's going to kind of be looking around. Everyone's going to have their eyes closed and heads down. But I want to lead you in a prayer. And that prayer is a significant prayer because it's the beginning 
of a significant journey, a life-changing journey of following Jesus. And if you're recommitting your life to Christ, I wanna give you the opportunity to raise your hand as well, to say, Jesus, I'm in again, and let him welcome you home. So if that's you, if on the count of three, again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, if you need to make Jesus Lord today, or you need to recommit to him, I wanna invite you just to raise your hand. I'm gonna share a short prayer with you if that's you. Okay, whether your hand is up in here or online, I wanna lead you in a short prayer. If you just pray with me in church, I'd encourage you just to pray with me as well. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you're good. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I choose today to follow you, to make you Lord of my life and receive the full and abundant life that you desire to give to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And then if you're part of the group that's committed to Jesus, this next song, we're gonna be singing about building my life on Jesus. If you made a decision today to follow Jesus, I wanna encourage you to sing this song with us as a way for us to center ourselves before we go into our week. So Jesus, we're just asking you to, to come and to move in this time, Lord. We say again that we wanna build our life on your love. We wanna build our life on your truth. We wanna build our life on your kingdom, Lord. We wanna stay in the story. So we honor you in this place, God. Thank you for your great love for us.